So we've been doing a series and we're continuing a series, What is Real Life? Looking at the, the, the letter that John wrote to a group of churches. Uh, there's some really cool stuff in this space. I just want to preempt where we're going this morning um, and just do a little pre- bit of preparation, which is really important. So sometimes when you have a, a message, a sermon, it's like eating a massive palmer. It's a big chunk of crumb chicken that's really filling, sometimes a bit hard to digest. It takes a while to plow through and the end of it, you sometimes feel a bit bloated, but you know that hopefully there's some nutrition in there. It feels like that. Other times when you listen to a message, it's like having popcorn chicken. I don't know if anyone's eaten popcorn chicken. Crystal introduced me to popcorn chicken, but the idea is really good, but it comes and goes really quickly. You eat it and it disappears and, and it's a bit light and nice, but not really particularly that filling. This morning, what we're aiming for is chicken nuggets. So this morning, we're not quite at the the palmer end of the spectrum where it's big meaty stuff. We're not going for the light fluffy stuff. This morning, I've got some chicken nuggets for you. The reason I'm telling you this is because I really don't want you to get to 15, 20 minutes down the track and go, the plate's empty, where are they? You need to be on the ball, you need to be uh, following because like chicken nuggets, they're going to disappear pretty quickly. So uh, keep alert because you'll miss it if you, uh, if you don't keep alert this morning. Put your hand up if you know what this is. I think the younger kids might struggle a bit. Yeah, I've got one hand. This is called a spirograph. And this is a toy, a toy, a tool that I had as a kid that was amazing and I loved it. Um, with technology these days, aspirographs aren't as popular. But what a spirograph does is you put a circle with a, a gear in it and another gear and a pen. And when you move the pen around, it draws a pattern. And it slowly draws a pattern until you end up with a nice, beautiful picture. Now, the young kids probably go, well, that's really silly. You can do that on the computer easily. It was high-tech fun in my day. But that's called a spirograph. And the significance of this is when we're reading 1 John, it's a bit like using a spirograph. Because 1 John can feel quite repetitive. It can feel like John's repeating himself. It can feel like we've been here before. And you might go, well, I've already heard this. Didn't John say this two chapters ago? But John's writing a book like this spirograph that's a bit repetitive. It's a bit familiar. It's a bit like we've been here before. But as much as it feels a little bit that way, it's actually really valuable. And what John's saying, the patterns of what John's repeating is actually really significant for us to listen to. And he does it deliberately because he wants us to, to absorb properly what it looks like and end up with a beautiful picture like a spirograph. So chicken nugget number one. Basic doesn't mean boring. Simple doesn't mean silly. And this is something really significant as we enter the message this morning, but also in life in general. Proverbs 4.13 says, Always remember what you have been taught and don't let go of it. Keep all that you have learned. It is the most important thing in life. This idea of once you learn something, when it becomes familiar, when it becomes the simple things, don't move on to something else. Remember what you've learned. Interestingly, Jesus actually does a similar thing, and we often miss it, but in Matthew 11, starting at verse 25, Jesus says, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So the things that were revealed, the secrets of the kingdom, were revealed to little children, people who understand simple things, rather than to the wise and the learned. 
But he actually goes on to say, just a couple of verses later, a lot of people know this verse well, but they miss out on a key little thing. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and this is interesting, and he says, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we like the yoke is easy and burden is light part, but in the midst, he's saying, learn from me and your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So the things that are simple, the things that are basic are not boring and silly. And we've got to be really careful. For some people, some of the points I share today might be the first time they ever hear it. And if that's the case, that's super exciting. If someone hears something simple and basic and it's revealing something about real life to them for the first time, that's phenomenal and we should be celebrating that. For other people, some of the ideas might be well established in their hearts and minds. Maybe this is familiar turf that we're going on. And for me, I say that's super exciting too, because it means those people are in a position to teach, to demonstrate, to model, to younger people, to to people that they're influencing over these simple things. So at one end, you've got people hearing it for the first time. The other end, you've got people that are very familiar with it. But for most of us, simple, repetitive truths are important to remind us what we want to be anchored in, what we want to be grounded in. And so it doesn't matter whether things are simple and basic. It doesn't make them boring and silly. It actually makes them even more significant. And this first nugget, I believe, is really important because we don't want to get to the place of thinking they're boring or they're primitive things because it actually ends up distracting us. It actually ends up taking us losing ground on the foundational things for for interesting, sizzling things out on the fringes. And the potential worst thing that can happen is that we actually lure other people away from basic things. Don't distract yourself with the fringe ideas. Make sure we're grounded on the basic things and ground others in that too. So that's chicken nugget number one. Chicken nugget number two. And we're going to start reading from uh, 1 John 3.13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Chicken nugget number two is opposition is assumed. Opposition is assumed. You know, this isn't the first time that this is mentioned. John in his gospel mentions this a couple of times as Jesus taught this. In John 15, it says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before you. It hated, before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And then uh, in John 16, it also says, I've said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You'll have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Opposition is actually assumed. And this is something we struggle with. We go, if real life is a life of freedom, why is there opposition? And John goes on to explain this. Now, again, in 1 John, we have lots of big contrast. He likes to make dramatic statements. He likes to make dramatic contrasts, light and darkness, good and evil, love and hate. He has these big contrasting ideas. And in this case, he uses the contrast of death 
with a murderer and life with love. So he's contrasting, you know, murdering and love with death and life. So let's read what he says, starting at verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. He's pointing out here the conflict between two worlds. The conflict between a world that doesn't know Jesus and a world that does know Jesus. And he's using a murderer as an example of someone that in their heart when they murder, they don't have God in them. So we have these big contrasts, and these big contrasts are a dramatic way of John trying to explain. There's opposition is assumed because the world doesn't know Jesus, the world doesn't understand Jesus, the world doesn't even understand what true freedom looks like. So don't be surprised that there's opposition here. Okay, let's move on to chicken nugget number three. True love is not cheap. So let's just read from 1 John 3.16. Interesting thing here. John 3.16, does anyone, put your hand up if you know that John 3.16, the Bible verse. Yep. Listen to 1 John 3.16. It's, uh, I'm not sure whether John planned this, but there's actually a little bit of a similarity here. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. And this is what 1 John 3.16 says. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Which is really cool. Very similar theme. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? True love is not cheap. John starts with this example of Jesus laying down his life. An extreme situation and a, a most dramatic way of expressing the cost of love, that true love is not cheap. And yet then he simplifies it and says, but that's not all. Let me give you a, an example that's a little bit more realistic for day-to-day living. I don't know whether anyone here has had to lay down their life for a brother. Uh, obviously not because you're here. <laughs> but uh, but in, the, in a basic example or a practical example, he talks about seeing a brother that has a need and you have a capacity to help them with their need. The love of the Father, the love of God in you, will naturally get you into a place of giving, of supporting, of blessing, loving a brother in need. And so he takes this this huge, high, dramatic sense of what love is, and he brings it down to say, true love is not cheap on a day-to-day level too. True love is something that costs. It's something that you have to sacrifice to give. Chicken nugget number four. This is a familiar one to people who know an old school band called DC Talk. Love is a verb. Love is a doing word. Let's read from 1 John 3.18. Little children. Now, interestingly, little children you might think is patronizing, is, is mocking them. In the original text, it's actually an affectionate term but it's clearly distinguishing between the teacher and the students. So it is in some ways saying that you you need to listen up because you're kids, but it is affectionate. It's not mocking. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Those that will remember our last church camp will remember there was a phrase that was used a number of times over and over again, and that's love looks like something. Love is not something that we just verbalize or think. Love is something that's an action. And love being a verb is so significant. And John draws that out. Chicken nugget number five. K 
keep his commandments. And that means to trust and obey God. And this is what John says, starting in verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. It says a number of times referring to, to the commandments, to the instructions of God. Now in our culture, and particularly for Aussies, we don't like to be told what to do. We see that as a problem. But in here, this is not just a, a sergeant major telling a bunch, an army men to shut up and do what you're told. It's actually with absolute love. He's talking to his little children. He's talking to his kids. And he's saying the fullness of life, the abiding in the Father, the hearing of God's voice and the intimacy of the conversation and the blessing of seeing God working in your life comes out of a space of being obedient and trusting God. There's something so significant in this. And yet with each of these five nuggets, they're so familiar that they often just wash past as simple things that we know as an idea, but don't affect our day-to-day lives. And for me, as I was praying this week, I realized that these five nuggets, these five things, are five things that are actually really significant. They're really influential on our decisions and on on our perspective of what real life looks like. And I want to share a testimony right now of an example of this in my life. I believe that God wants us to take these words not as nice ideas, but as foundations to what we're doing. So the five nuggets, I'll just go through them quickly. The first one is, Basic doesn't mean boring. Simple doesn't mean silly. Number two, opposition is assumed. Number three, true love is not cheap. Number four, love is a verb. It's a doing word. Love looks like something. And number five, trust and obey God. Now, the example I'm going to give you is is a story from my life that you're all familiar with. A number of years ago, many years ago, in fact, before Tanya and I were married, Tanya had a heart to make a difference in young people's lives that were not our biological kids. We didn't have any kids at the time. And she said to me, she believes God, part of her journey was God calling her to foster care, to connect in some way with disadvantaged kids. Now, at the time, I didn't have any connection with that idea. In fact, the idea sounded pretty average to me, to be honest. But I could see Tanya's passion and I could see God's hand in that space. Conveniently, we had friends that foster cared and they said, it's better to start raising your own kids first. And I'm like, yes, that's a great way of putting this off for a number of years. So I was able to defer the the conversation. About three years ago, God started stirring my heart. And he continued to bring people into my life, friends who were connected with organizations involved with foster caring, friends within, within the church who God had put on their hearts similar ideas. And he started to draw people around me and share with me his heart for foster caring. 
And this comes down to number five. Chicken nugget number five is trusting and obeying God. Because in my logic and my mind, this was a very inefficient and impractical mission to go down, thing to respond to. And God knew that. He knew me. He knew me well. We were in communion together. We were relating. And so the journey continued and he continued to soften me until one day I got a call from Glenn saying that someone uh, connected with Beaconsfield Primary School is about to go into Resi Care at 10 years old. Effectively, for those that don't know the system, it's a share house, kind of like an orphanage for a 10-year-old. And you go, that sucks. This is not now an idea. This is now reality for someone that I don't know personally, but I know of personally. And so there's this gap between the nice idea and the reality all of a sudden got very close because we're talking about a real person. We inquired about it. We weren't qualified. We had no training. We weren't in a position to do anything about it. And the agency said, you're going to have to forget about this person because you're not in a position to do anything about it anyway. But it was a trigger, a trigger that made me realize that God wanted my obedience and my trust. He didn't want me to understand everything, but he did want me to obey and trust. And so I said, yes, God. I don't know at the time whether that was a stupid decision or not because I didn't have all the information. But I said, yes, God, I will trust you. And then kicked in chicken nuggets number three and four. True love is not cheap and true love is a verb. It's a doing word. Because there were some massive sacrifices. When we moved in the house we're in now, the highlight of the house for me was the study. A space that I could call my own. I'd never had that in our married life up till that point. I'd converted the garage into a makeshift sort of study space. But to be able to have a space that I could call my own, I could set it up beautifully. I could have instruments. I could potentially have a painting easel over here. And, you know, this was my paradise. This was my room to escape. For those that know, I'm I'm an introvert. So this is the perfect space for me. And the first thing that had to go in making this decision to foster care was my paradise. Give up your paradise, Matt. And I'm like, this sucks. Is it worth it? I don't know. But you see, when we talk about real life, the real life God intends, when we come back to the foundation of trusting and obeying, when we come back to abiding in Christ, it doesn't matter whether it actually looks like it sucks. To me, that's no longer important because I'm trusting and obeying that his ways are higher than my ways. I had to let go of something that I loved, that I believed God blessed me with, to be able to sacrifice for the sake of someone else. And so, as you'd all be aware, came into our life. And we began a journey of obedience, this journey of sacrifice, this journey of love looking like something. And I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this to say that these simple ideas are very tangible and very real and relate to our everyday lives if we let them. Because it was not easy. And when we look at chicken nugget number two, opposition is assumed. I can tell you with confidence that the journey has had opposition the whole time and continues to have opposition today and more so for Tanya than me, but there continues to be opposition regularly to this mission. There continues to be opposition because there's two worlds colliding. There's a world that doesn't understand the love of the Father and a world that we've been called to that deeply wants to share the love of the Father. 
and they don't match. They clash. And so we find ourselves in a place that you could say is hard work, and in some ways it is. But what we didn't see when we started as that it would actually bring unity between Tanya and I working together on the mission field, hand in hand, having to use our gifts to complement each other. I would argue that I have never been able to teach my children, my biological kids, what it means to love sacrificially like I've been able to teach them in the last two years. I didn't have the tools to do that. In my own being, I wasn't able to do that. It was my prayer. It was my heart's cry to say to God, please help me teach my kids what it means to love others. And we have a mantra that we've taught our kids since they were, since they were able to listen. And that is, we think about others. We think about others. We think about others. When they were little kids, we'd say, we're doing this because we think about others. And yet when you say that and you don't model it, it sounds hollow and cheap. However, I would argue God has blessed us with the the blessing of being able to demonstrate and model and teach and allow our kids to be on mission too. This is a space that is an amazing blessing that I could not have designed. So I want to come back to these five points. I want you to hear them through this lens because every single one of these five points relates to exactly my situation and and my testimony, but it doesn't just relate to that. I believe it relates to every one of our lives if we let them. Chicken nugget number one, basic doesn't mean boring, simple doesn't mean silly. So often in the last two years, we've had to come back to the, the simple truths of what God is trying to say to us and what's important to him. The foundational stuff is not silly. We've got to anchor ourselves in it. Opposition is assumed. When we live in a world that doesn't know Christ, we have to assume that there's going to be opposition. That's normal. I want to give you a quick story of when Tanya and I were on our honeymoon. We were in New Zealand and we did this activity called whitewater sledging. It's boogie boarding down rapids. And we said to the people taking us, what's more, what's more dangerous, uh, whitewater sledging or whitewater rafting? And they said to us, Well, there's a significant difference. You might feel like you're actually a little bit less safe when you're already in the water. But the problem with whitewater rafting is you feel confident in the boat. And if you're confident in the boat, you get freaked out when you get flipped out of the boat. And so all of a sudden, being in the water is a place of panic and a place of stress and you're going to struggle. Whereas when you start in the water, you're actually in a place where you feel like this is normal. And so when we start with a perspective of saying opposition is assumed, then we actually don't panic when things uh, come against us. We don't get shocked by that and go into this state of things have gone wrong. We go, this was predicted. This was expected. When people don't know Christ, they're not going to behave in the real life way of freedom that God has designed for them. That's okay. That's normal. Chicken nugget number three, true love is not cheap. True love is, it costs. It's free to the receiver, but it's not free to the giver. It costs Jesus so much pain and anguish. And if we think that we can give love and it ends up as a nice balance that equals, you know, balanced book like, you know, Cal might think with accounting, it doesn't add up. It costs, it sacrifices. Love is a verb. It's a doing word. It's a doing word. It's not something that's a nice idea. 
it actually becomes action. And lastly, we need to trust and obey God. These five things are, are awesome. There, there might be just chicken nuggets. I hope you've, you've realized that they're not just nice ideas. They're actually things that, that drive us, that motivate us to amazing fullness of life in Christ. I really want us to, to embrace what John is putting down here. He's putting down some phenomenal stuff for us to pick up. Be encouraged, be inspired. This is not, as I said, a sergeant major rebuking his, uh, his soldiers. This is a, a loving John, loving his kids, saying, if you want to know real life and the fullness of it, you're going to have to let go of some of your old ways, and you're going to have to embrace what Jesus has taught and modeled and given to us as a way of life. Because fullness of life, fullness of life, the best plan is not ours, it's his. The best plan is not ours, it's his. And we've got to trust him in that. 